Ready, Steve? I'm ready, Drew. I need your full attention. I'm good. You got me? <laughs> you don't all have to look at me. You can hear me. <clears throat> I'm going to include that part off the top. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> G'day. Welcome to the first edition of the Rugby World Cup Fox podcast. I got that around the wrong way. I'm dyslexic. Do you reckon hello and welcome or g'day and welcome? Either or. Okay. G'day and welcome to the first edition of the Fox Rugby World Cup podcast. Uh, well, Drew, it's a new podcast. It's a. This is, as you say, a past player takeover. We should tell everyone who we are. Drew Mitchell is your co-host. The voice you're hearing now is Stephen <laughs> Hoyle. We're not very professionalist, but you're going to enjoy it. I'm not the co-host. I'm the host. I just said you're the host. I'm no, the you co-host. Said I, I said I'm thinking. the co-host. You're the host. Drew's the host. Steve's the co-host. Yep. I think we need to start again. Okay. Yeah, when we went that long, I thought we haven't said who we are. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. Hello and welcome to the first edition of the Fox Rugby World Cup podcast. It's a player takeover podcast. Uh, your co-host is Drew Mitchell. I'm Stephen Hoyles. Oh, Drew's filthy at me. He wants to be the host. Well, okay. Well, anyway, we'll, we'll move on. Drew's the host. I'm the co-host. It's sort of like a... It's a past players and a few current players we're going to tap into over the course of the next... Well, it's probably eight or nine weeks now, Drew. There's a bit of footy to go on, isn't there? Yeah, that's right. We're a few weeks out now from the first ever Rugby World Cup being hosted in Asia. And like you say, we're going to hopefully call in throughout the course of uh, the next eight or nine weeks or so and... and Go into camp to what the, uh, the 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 Wallaby squad are up to, what they, you know, how they're feeling after after some results, going into others, and and whatever else is also happening in camp. Because we know that it's not just about the rugby when you go to a rugby World Cup. There's also plenty of things that are happening off the field and also in and around camp that perhaps we're not privy to. So we hopefully can call into some of those guys. But we also want to hear some international flavours as well. And well, that, I think that's one of the the strengths of this fun cast, as we're calling it, Drew, <laughs> is that I think we're probably going to be able to dive pretty deep into the opposition that the Wallabies are playing. You've got some strong ties with some some countries that people won't know too much about. The Georgians, you're very, very yeah. close with a lot of the Georgian yeah, boys. I've had a, a few cognacs and a couple of cigars with some of the Georgian boys. So we'll we'll call into perhaps Levan Chilachava, one of the uh, one of the props of the the Georgian side, and and just get a bit of a take on how their camp's going as well, and and what their ambitions are throughout the course of the World Cup. Obviously, not one of the uh, the Tier One nations. Perhaps their ambitions are different to what a, a Wallabies would be going out there and trying to achieve. So, yeah, we, we're going to try and tap into everyone. Uh, current playing uh, members of, of their own squads, but also maybe even some uh, former players from other countries as well. Uh, we're still a couple of weeks out from the opening game, with the, which will be, well, Wallabies round one will be against Fiji, but we're going to talk mainly in this podcast about the Wallabies, about the selection, about the camp, about the upcoming game against Samoa. We're going to focus on the Wallabies, Drew. So tell us your thoughts on the initial squad. 31-man squad has been announced. Who was unlucky? Uh, anyone you'd like to see in there for anyone in particular? Yeah, oh, look, I mean, I, I thought... Once it was announced, it was probably, you know, there wasn't too many surprises for me. I thought it was a, a squad that was relatively, like, it, it almost picked itself. Um, you know, of course, when there's a squad announced, there's going to be some people that are unlucky. You, straight away, you look at the, the Tom Banks, Pete Samu, Tatafu Pilota now, who came back down from uh, the Northern Hemisphere to try and uh, have one more tilt, another World Cup, Nick Phipps. We'll talk a little bit about that. They went with just two halfbacks. Nick Phipps missed out. Um, yeah, so there's... there's there's a few guys, Luke Jones as well. He's another one that missed out. There's a few people that, you know, deservedly would feel a little bit up, upset with not being able to be involved. But that being said, we all know that 
the 31 that start a Rugby World Cup, unfortunately, uh, quite often is the case that it's not the same 31 that finished the Rugby World Cup. So You once got sent home from a World Cup injured, 2011. That would have yeah, been I, tough. No, not so much sent home. Sent home <laughs> means it's like, sounds like it's a bit of an off-field industry. No, you never got caught for any of the things yeah, off-field, I, Yeah, I mean, well... You got sent home injured after... Well, one time I did, but let's, <laughs> that might be a time for another... Another podcast. An after-hours podcast. After hours. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, I, I went home in 2011. I picked up a hamstring injury against Russia. Um, I was rushing to the trial line <laughs> and tore my hammy. But, yeah, and it, you know, when, when that happens, it's pretty cruel, to be honest. You, you've got to be out of the country within 24 hours because the replacing member that's coming over to, to take your spot... Um, he can only arrive when you've left the country. So for me, it was in New Zealand. I had that's to... not a bad thing getting out of New Zealand within 24 hours. Though. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it wasn't too bad. To be honest, if, sorry, we've got Kiwis all around the building, but they know they're all here, so they yeah. know the reason that yeah, got no, they got out pretty quick as well. My, my parents were actually just about to fly over to New Zealand uh, to watch uh, the quarterfinals and onwards, and Mum was a little bit upset and just thought maybe it was not the right idea for her to, her and my dad to come over and me going the other way. And I said, Mum, I'm, I've already booked a flight to LA. You're, Go, go to New Zealand and enjoy it. And uh, I end up watching the boys play in the semi-final uh, at a festival on an island in San Francisco overlooking Alcatraz oh. and, yeah, on a naval base. It was, um, yeah, pretty bizarre, but it was also... It obviously took the news pretty hard. And <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I just had to get out. Like, I had to go away and, you know, because it was, you know, it's difficult times when you when you want to be there and you prefer to be there. And I thought, what better place to, to watch it than perhaps a, not necessarily a really strong rugby community uh, on a naval base in San Francisco. I'll never forget Mark Girardi's first touch in the World Cup in 2007. Yeah. He came on after like 55 minutes, caught a kickoff, got smashed in the knee, out for the tournament. And he stayed, I think, you're allowed to stay in the country at that stage because his family had come yeah, over right. that week. And we were singing the anthem in week two. And I remember we were facing the crowd where all the family were and I could see Girardi and I actually felt so bad that we were singing the national anthem. There's poor Mark Girardi. First and only World Cup and it was ruined yeah. within a minute and a half. So it can be taken off you pretty quick. And yeah. And you're right, you make a good point. But the Wallabies went on to get third in that World Cup. You got a medal. You didn't get yours though. Yeah, I didn't get a medal. Um, you know, I thought that, you know, because I was part of the the, the playing group and the, well, the team that was announced to yep. go over to the Rugby World Cup in 2011 in New Zealand and... I called Bob Edgerton, who was the uh, the manager at the time, you know, after the World, World Cup. World Cup winning Bob Edgerton? Yeah, that's yep. right. Yeah, he was the team manager. And I thought, oh, Bob, you know, how, how do we go about maybe getting, you know, like the the medal? Like there was myself and there was also one other injured member. And uh, I don't know if you remember, but Nathan Sharp played his 100th test at that Rugby World Cup and his two sons were gifted <laughs> <laughs> the third place medal for um, the, the two extra players that were sent home. So, and you can't take a medal off a kid, you can you? <laughs> like Sonny Bill's giving medals out to kids yeah. and Drew's got yeah. the nerve to try and make yeah. a phone no, call, but no, he didn't, no, did no. you? I mean, I thought about it. <laughs> I chased up for his number, but at that stage, those kids didn't have mobile phones, so I couldn't uh, reach out to them. But, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's one that's not on the mantelpiece, but, yeah, it's third anyway. Uh, righto, so back to the 31-man squad. There's yep. always some hard luck stories, which we just sort of went through a bit. Um, there's always some nice stories. Adam Ashley Cooper, he's a good mate of yeah. of both you and I. And playing in four World Cups, that's, that is remarkable. At the start of the year, not many people gave him a chance. And, and maybe yourself and I have been biased, not just from a friendship point of view, but knowing what he's done in every World Cup campaign. Yeah. We were confident and hoping that he'd get there. And it's a good story, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, he's someone that put it right out there, right? Like he... He was playing in Japan. Uh, he made it known that he wanted to come back and, and, you know, do his best to try and make a fourth World Cup, which 
you know, I think it's only George Gregan who's done yep. that uh, in, in Australian colours. So, uh, you know, it'd, it'd be a remarkable achievement if he was able to do it. And at that point, he was, you know, he, he called me a number of times because he was speaking to um, the Western Force in the rapid rugby competition and, and also the Waratahs. And, and you know, I was going to get paid quite handsomely over in uh, Western Force and not so much here. At, um, you know, the Waratahs only had one spot left available in their squad. And for someone who was 34 years of age at the time coming in, uh, you know, there wasn't too much wiggle, wiggle room for, uh, you know, I, I guess a, a big contract that he was on in Japan or that he would probably get anywhere else. But I, I think, we, you know, we just spoke about, I guess, what people's opinions would be, right? Like if he came back and, and with, with no disrespect, with a competition like um, Rapid Rugby, yep. where the quality is not as strong as Super Rugby, he could go there and kill it and people would still question it because he's playing in rapid rugby and not super rugby, right? Whereas if he comes back and plays in super rugby and does well, then you can't argue that. It doesn't matter about age. doesn't matter about anything. If he's performing at super rugby level, which is what every other person in this, uh, this squad has done, bar a couple that were in the Northern Hemisphere, if he performs well at that uh, level, then no one can question it. And, and I think for him that was probably the, the, you know, the, the reason why he came to the Waratahs. Oh, one of the reasons. Obviously, you know, he's, he's got a, a strong affiliation with uh, the Waratahs you know, having won the championship with them previously. But that was a big reason for him so that no one could could question his form or his uh, his inclusion if he were to be picked, if he was performing at Super Rugby level. Here's the other thing that's – and I completely agree with you, but, like, that one, there was word from Michael Checker that it didn't matter if he was playing for Western Force or the Waratahs. Yeah. But he didn't need to play in either of those sides. He could have stayed in Japan, yeah, right. earned a bucket load of money because he's played the 60 test. He's – Played seven well, years. You know, but I think he's, he's doubled he's the double, 60 test he's, yeah. he's got the, yeah. you know, law. He's all, as we should be called, the Mitchell, the law, Mitchell but, law. Yeah, yeah um, that, from now on, if you call okay, the Giddo law here, you're getting fired. It's the Mitchell law. <laughs> yeah. He's made the Mitchell law of 60 tests. So he could have been sitting in Japan comfortably, but he's, you're right, he said early on, I just want to test myself. I want to know myself. I don't want to be given any favours. I think people are forgetting how well he played against Italy on last year's spring tour. Yeah. And the Waratahs didn't have a very good season, but when the Waratahs showed any form of fight this year, it was towards the middle to back end of the Super Rugby season and that was when AAC was playing his best footy. So I know there's some unlucky plays and the thing that helps Adam is experience, his versatility yeah. and he's a big game player. He's not, I'm very confident that if someone, if Adam doesn't play in the first four or five games or he's on the bench, someone in that key position of 13, 14 or 15 goes down, he's a guy that you look to and go, I know he'll do a job for me. And, and not only that, like, he's, he's got great communication, which you just you need at this level and you need in, in abundance at a, at a tournament-type rugby, you know, just to refocus on a goal. that things aren't always going to go your way. You need to be able to have – you need to have someone, not just the, the leaders, the, the Michael Hoopers, the Karevis, the, you know, the guys who have got the Cs and the VCs next to their name, but people that in the micro chats that you can have on the field just to calm people's nerves or refocus them or, or get them back up and uh, – and, and I guess, you know, tuned into what they need to be doing. He's really good at that. I think he also provides a bit of a calmness. Um, you know, like he's, the, you know, he's, he's pretty laid back. Uh, he drives pretty hard standards, but he's also quite laid back. And, and sometimes when the pressure's really getting on and it's heaping on uh, throughout either the World Cup campaign, so whether it's off the field or also on the field, I think he can have a real calming influence on that squad. So, but the, the one thing I really... You know, I'm proud of Adam Ashley Cooper for doing it. Is just putting it out there and and going out there and backing it up. And and that brings me to my next guy. I'm also really proud of what James O'Connor's done. Yeah, good shout. Like I, I think if 12 months ago we said James O'Connor was going to be the starting 13, you know, even in the in the lead up to the Rugby World Cup, and then it was also going to be named to get on the plane to go to Japan. 
I think most people probably would have laughed at us. Well, I re- you you were sort of behind the scenes, pretty influential in that. And even when you got asked publicly, you you were pretty honest about it. And you played with James, yeah, in Australia and and overseas. And you were there when he when he kind of had some struggles overseas. And I remember when you you mentioned it a while ago and. And Michael Checker was keen on this. He, he always wanted – one of the best things about Michael Checker is he wants to have the best players available. So he does a lot of work, work trying to find out who's in good form overseas, who's in good headspace, and he works those avenues really hard. And there wasn't too many avenues there because initially the Super Rugby sides weren't keen on James O'Connor for post-Rugby World Cup. So, so Michael needed him to sign with someone. And um, step up Stephen Hoyles. Yeah, so the, with my role with the Sevens, there was a suggestion that James O'Connor has expressed interest in playing in the World Cup, but – he needs to commit to Australian rugby the year after the World Cup and, and none of the states were, were interested at the time. So Tim Walsh got a got a query about James O'Connor and, and Tim came to me and I came to you and you kind of said, well, yeah, you know what, I think he's in a better headspace. Yeah. Long story short, a lot of people did a little bit of work behind the scenes and, and we met him in London about probably three months ago now when the London Sevens were on and I'd heard all this stuff and I'd followed him on social media and about yeah. his journey because he had some uh, mental battles, he had some physical battles and put that all together he was essentially in his own words like broken yeah but he went and found a way to rebuild himself and he started with the the mind not the body and i you know it's it's i'm not a person that's ever been down that path so i don't yeah completely understand it but when i met him and he had his a guy with him who'd helped him along the journey straight away i said whatever he's doing he's working for him and and then as it turns out a lot of people listen to a few other people and the red showed interest and and we're still hoping that we'll ha- he'll have some involvement with the the aussie sevens for the hopefully the Olympic campaign, but for him come, to come back and put himself in the position he has, I think that's remarkable how he's done it and, and he played a pivotal role in that Blood as they win in Perth. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, his his rugby career has been well documented, you know, whether the things that he's... the remarkable things he's done on the field, but also the other sort of spectacular things that have happened off the field. Um, both have got probably equal weight in terms of coverage and, and you know, and I, I've said a number of times, I think unfortunately for him... A lot of us still judge him as the James from, uh, you know, those troubled times, in his words, um, rather than actually going and doing the homework and, and getting an understanding of the people who he's around now, the environments he's around, the impact he's having on younger players, um, the the way that Steve Diamond, the coach of Sale, uh, where he was at in the UK, how highly he speaks of him and, and the the steps that he's made to, um, you know, to... to be more present, be better, and, and to improve both on the field but also off the field as well. And and you know, and I've I've been a teammate of James's when he was seventeen when he joined the Western Force throughout my you know both of our Wallaby careers, also at Toulon. Um, and yeah, I, I've seen a huge change, and I, I started to feel that. And it took me a long time to really kind of trust in that. And but he continually showed that uh, you know he's he's not just made change, but still still working at it. You know, like James has been selected to wear the green and gold again. But that's not the end goal for him. Like, he wants to continually uh, improve. And, and I think that's why we'll see him have, I think, a pretty significant impact on this Rugby World Cup. You like him in that 13 position? Yeah, I do, actually. I, and I like the, the, the mix and the balance it gives the back line. I, essentially, you're playing with uh, four ball players really, in that back line. So you look at it, you've got Nick White, who gets out really well, and Will Genya's also doing that, uh, you know, when he came off the bench in, in Perth, he got out and, and really attacked that line again. He's been doing That's the role he's been playing at the moment. He may start, um, but him getting out or Nick White getting out really allows them to almost ball play from that uh, the base of the ruck position. Then you've got either a, a Bernard Foley or Christian Leilofano at 10 who's ball playing. Then you've got James who's almost a link slash ball player at 13 that can help 
link those inside players or, or sometimes the forwards to the outside backs. And then you've got Kurtley Bill at fullback. I, I just I like the, the the mix of it. You've got Marika Corabetti who runs harder than anyone into a line. Not only does he run hard into a line, he, like Nasirani and like so many of the Fijian players, if the ball's at their feet and they feel they can get a metre or two, they just take it. They just play footy. That, that's very cliche saying, but they just play what's in front of them. And I yeah. think that's really been beneficial to the Wallabies. The number of times you've seen Nick White just go, not think, just go. And he's been tackled, I reckon, probably in the t- two bledders, those. Whitey probably got tackled three or four times each time, which you normally don't want out of your halfback. But if they're getting through contact and they're getting quick ball, then it doesn't matter who's behind them. Someone else can shift the ball as a halfback. I, yeah. I really like how they're playing, and that's why it suits these these guys that are instinctive footy players, James and, and Kirtley and, and Christian and, and Bernard. Yeah, I mean, and that takes us, I guess, to our next point is we tried a little bit there for at least a few test matches with two big centres in Samu Karevi and Tavita Kurandrani. And then they've gone in the, the two most recent tests uh, with Sami Karevi at 12 and, and a smaller, I guess more of a ball-playing, fleet-footed uh, James O'Connor at 13. Like how, what do you think is the best combination moving forward for this Wallaby side? I think we always initially th- used to think that that second ball player in the back line probably needed to sit at number 12. That was probably the, the old theory of that's how you get the ball wide. But I don't necessarily think that matters. I think I probably like having the biggest centre at number 12 because if you need to get a tough carry, you just shift it one out. It's not a cutout pass. If you then want to go wide, you can play it one out in front of a Samu Krebi. So I've always been of the opinion we're never going to be bigger or more powerful than the South Africans or the New Zealands or even or the, the English. So the way that Australia and the Wallabies have been successful, it'll always be the way. We have to be fit, which we are, and we have to be able to play a thinking game and a, a game that um, – we allow our in- instincts to take over. The second we try and bog down into too much structure and play behind pods and sometimes you look up at a test, a test field and you can see the whole width of the field being spread out. And if you were to take a photo, it looks beautiful. Mm. Guys in position here and there, but the game is not perfect. The game's never perfect. You don't essentially need anyone covering the full width of the field. You just need people in behind other people because that's your clean out there, your offload channels. And I like the fact that we've got more ball players on the field. I even... And Nicerani didn't have the, the greatest super rugby season. And maybe you think that because he's in a side that didn't go that well, the Rebels. But he goes into Wallaby and it's like he's been given the freedom just to play footy. And he's got players around him, Marika and all these other guys that, that allow him to do his thing. And, and I reckon Nick White has been the big difference there. Just the, the pure energy he's shown around the ruck, that's big for the Wallabies. And we just need to continue to play that way. Yeah, I mean, for, for me on the, the centre combination, I, I think that almost un, unfortunately for Tavita, we don't... We've not traditionally played with two big centres, two big ball-carrying centres, and I feel like we didn't really know how to bring both of them into the game in those first two test matches. Like, Samo's been in outstanding form all Super Rugby season. Like, you want to get the ball in his hands, but you don't only want to get the ball in his hands. And if you've got a Tavita Kurandrani and a Samo in the centres, and you've got, say, someone like a Marika on the inside of the 10, you've got or even Reese Hodge on the other side, or whoever it might be, you've got four options with the ball carrier as well in, in the number 10 going at the line. But it felt for me, and it looked as though they were only really got using Samu. And he did really well, but it meant that Tavita couldn't get in the game. Like, Tavita was playing the, you know, the line where you run behind the block play yep. to get the ball. That's, to, that's no, no, not he's, Tavita's He's line. the hard-unders line, isn't Yeah, he? exactly. So I just think that whilst we had intentions to go in there with two big ball players, we didn't really know how to execute and get both of them into the game. And it worked probably against against Tavita. He didn't play poorly. He just wasn't given too many opportunities to get into the game. But I think the way that we play and, and the way that we want to play moving forward, I think it, it allows... I, I guess we just look better with uh, a second ball player in the centres. And whether it's a 12 or a 13, I think the 13 is the best look for us at the moment with James O'Connor. 
I don't eat fried chicken anymore. You're out. Yeah. I'm, uh, Who's I'm, gone vegan? I'm all about plant life. I'm seven. I'm into my eighth week now. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm keen to try this um, this mushroom jerky. Oh yeah, okay. I'll, yeah. You know what? I was, I was meaning to bring some in today, but I um, I slipped my mind when I was leaving my house. But no, no, all good. It's so good. Uh, like, you know, like you eat beef jerky because you're a murderer. I eat mushroom jerky. Yeah, I don't like mushrooms. I don't like mushrooms either. But you, you know, when when you don't eat meat, you don't have many options. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe you do it. I can't know how you stick to it. Oh, I've got a bit of willpower, mate. Yeah, just when the other things I'd rather commit willpower to. You know, like what? I don't know. Like no sugar or. No. I'm just there on my own, just fighting a good then fight. You're, yeah, you might. It's good though when you get a, yeah. like you know some good feedback. A couple of people said today that yeah, I look up. like I'm in decent nick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. I've dropped. I'm down to about 94 now. Yeah. What do you want to get to? 90 would be nice. Really? Yeah. It's your playing weight. No, 93. Yeah. It was playing weight back in the day. Wow. Anyway. What about um? Young Jordan Patea, like we all were hoping that he'd get plenty of Super Rugby. He didn't. He had a disastrous Super Rugby season. He started so well against the Highlanders, yeah. he carved them, then he got injured. He's done well to get back, but he's taken another little kickback. He's hamstring again over in the camp in Namia. Yeah, like, I mean, to me, I you got to feel for him, right? Like he's a young guy. He's been spoken about so much through the course of the Super Rugby season, and then he picks up the Liz Frank injury, which is, you know, from what I'm told, is a pretty difficult one because there's no real time frame on it you just got to you know it's got to let it heal just got to let it heal and, and play it as it comes and then um and then he's not played since and he's gone over uh to new caledonia the world cup camp and he's picked up a hamstring injury and i i can the reason i empathize with this is because it's very similar to where i was at in 2011 i just and broke my ankle in, in april didn't play the rest of the super rugby season i played 20 minutes of club footy before going to uh new zealand and you just don't have the opportunity to get the, the, the kilometres in your legs. So I just didn't have the conditioning in my, in my legs. And then when it's I was streaking away, yeah, pick, yeah. Pick, try to pick up a ball. And it was, it was the other leg that I tore purely because for a long period of time in my recovery and, and coming back from that injury, my left leg took a lot of the load because it was trying to cover for the, the right leg, which wasn't quite strong enough yet. And then it got to a point where that, that left hamstring fatigue, couldn't take it, I, over, I was overstriding. Went to pick up a ball and, and it went. So I, I would, I'd be very surprised if Jordan Pate's hamstring injury wasn't on the opposite side to his Liz Frank one because of those reasons, because it might not have uh, – it might have just fatigued and, and not had the kilometres under, it, um, under its belt to, to really cope, cope with that load, which then means you're taking a guy, 19, on debut to a Rugby World Cup who hasn't played in five, six months like mm. it's – it's big. It's a big call. But and we all... you're already sort of a little bit short in that, that sort of outside centre back three. You, you're not, you don't have a huge amount of stocks there either, do we? Well, I mean, you always take less, less backs mm. and, uh, you know, taking three hookers, only taking two halfbacks as yep. well means there's, there's, there's less, um, I guess, less options for them. Uh, we know that he's quality. Like, we yeah, know that no he is. Like, we, that. Yeah, like, I, I, you know, like the kid can play. We just hope that, uh, you know, like... He can get over these, and it's only a little niggle. It's not something that's going to be um, reoccurring or anything like that. That's going to hamper him throughout the course of the World Cup. But it also means then that these other guys, the Tom Bankses of the world, need to stay fit because there could be an opportunity for him throughout the course of this World Cup. Well, Tom Banks is in Namibia, so he's uh, uh, 
Jack Maddox. Yeah. He went over. And Nick Phipps. And Nick Phipps. So they've gone over. So has Joe Power. So there's cover over there. The camp looks hard. Like we've all been involved in these camps. I know there's some people out there sort of questioning the the intensity of it, but I'm a bit shocked at that. I think really it needs to. I, be, I haven't heard anyone question it. It needs to be hard. Like it's, of course, you're three yeah. weeks out from game one. Like put the bloke plays in a hole. I like the fact that they're like I've we've done one in 2007 that was purely boot camp, and I actually now looking back on it, I really enjoyed it. I like that stuff. It's, yeah, it's good for the. The group environment, it's a bit of a punish when you're doing it. But if there was any criticism of that camp, it was probably we not enough. We, we, we didn't get any food. <laughs> well, not enough food, yeah. And blokes like me were working hard to hold weight. But that, the thing that if I we only had one footy session in the whole week, I yeah. think you do that stuff probably five or six weeks out from a World Cup, yeah. you know, but the week or two out from World Cup like they're doing in EMEA, they're on a footy field every day. Yeah. They, it doesn't matter what they're doing on it. They're, they're jumping between pushing heavy weights on sleds and carrying stuff up grandstands and they're going back to footy training, which is important. So I'm... I'm all for a heavy workload and, and unfortunately a Pate gets injured but you're going to pick up injuries. That's part and parcel of this. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think from being involved in that 2015 Rugby World Cup camp in Notre Dame, like that was intense, right? And you're doing things where just when you think that you can't go any further, you've got to link arms and you've got to do something as a team or you've got to, you know, run the length or, or everyone carry a rope or something that makes you all connected. And you think in the moment, like, why the f*** are we doing this? Like, you know, like... What on earth is this going to have, you know, any sort of relationship between what we're doing now and what we're going to be doing in London? And then we play Wales. Yeah, and you defend and, your line with and 13. We're, we're down, yeah, we're down to two guys yeah. in, the, in, in the bin and all of a sudden you need to stay so connected, more connected than you've ever been and you start to draw on those moments when yep. you're all holding a rope and you're staying connected and you're willing each other and you're communicating the entire time. That, that's where... That's the smarts of these camps, right? Like nothing... They don't do anything that's not planned or that's not, you know, targeted or tactical. Like Michael Checker is very smart and nothing's just off a whim, you know. Like he, everything he's doing, it's it's for a reason and and at some point through your campaign, you you kind of have that little light bulb moment where you go, right, that's why we did that. In the moment, it sucks. We were getting sleep deprived and we yeah. were swimming across lakes. I thought, we're not swimming across these lakes. Greeks can't even swim. They're not going to make George Gregan, like the famous wallaby. He's not going to swim in the middle of the night. But he can't even swim. Do but you remember when he got out? He had like mild hypothermia. He, had, he, did get hypothermia. He, was, he was wrapped in the foil yeah, blanket. blanket. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's Sharpie also dragged him across a lake. Yeah, it's also because he's got like. Serves you right for one percent, so lean. Yeah, 1% yeah. fat on him. <laughs> I was all right in that, in that lake. I was, I was, he was sweating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but. Yeah, so I, I like those camps. Uh, I don't like them in the moment. I, you know, I hear some guys saying that this camp is harder than the one in Notre Dame. The You're guys, not buying it. <laughs> I'm not buying it, but also I know that none of this current group were in the Fat Club in Notre Dame. That was so you with who? Will Skelton. Yeah, that, I mean, <laughs> you would have felt bad. Like Willie was weighing in 150. Yeah, I was and there's you, 96, 96 like, 97. Yeah, come on. I I remember that it was the last day we were in Sydney before we were going over to America. And we're on a ferry, not really, not sh- not sure where we're going. And it was rumoured that we're going to do like our last hard session as the hills up in at the north head there of, of Manly. And Chet came up to me on the ferry and he said, mate, um, just going to let you know now you're not playing against America. You're just going to be, uh, you're going to do some extra training, <laughs> uh, you know, just to kind of get back to fighting weight. And I was like, so I'm in the fat club. He's like, no, like I wouldn't call it that. And I said, well, who else is in it? He said, Will Skelton. I said, so I'm in the fat club. <laughs> I said, mate, don't dress it up. Just, you know, like absolutely just rocked me, crushed my soul yep. and then made me run up hills for an hour and a half. And I, I was so acidic, mate. Like I was like, 
And people need to be reminded, but when there's a training for two hours and they tell you they're only going to train for an hour, Drew's the guy that's still angry that we've still got to train for an hour. So on a good day, you're not the best trainer. You get through training by basically criticising training and anyone who's involved in organising it. Look, and this is, you know, hopefully there's no kids watching this. Well, hopefully you're listening, but maybe tune out now for a little bit because this is not probably the best advice. But I think whinging pays, right? Because every strength and conditioning coach is so worried about picking up soft tissue injuries, right? Like this, like if they get a hamstring injury... They look bad. Like, and they, they get smashed yep. by the head coach and, you know, everyone else. And, and so I think... Because soft tissue injuries, just going on that, people think that they can be controlled. Impact injuries, no control. Soft yep. tissue, they go and they look through all the data and they go, bugger, we got that wrong. Yeah. He did a hammy. So if you get two soft tissue injuries in a session, you watch physio, physios and S&Cs. They're on suicide watch. Yeah, and knowing that... I would just plant a bit of a seed of doubt. And I just say, this is f***ing reckless. Like, just keep going. And I just announced to the group, keep going, boys. Just, you know, just keep going until you tear something. Hemming off the bone, it's all good. F***ing reckless, whatever. And then you could see the strength and conditioning coach go, oh. And more often than not, we're set up to do six sets. After about four, the S&C coach would go, all right, that's enough, go get a drink. And I'm like, that's another win, boys. <laughs> and what else you would do during that is most people, you, had, you, you sort of had this effect on the group, is most people would say, I'm actually getting through this because I'm, I don't think I'm going as bad as Drew. Drew's really <laughs> angry over there and I'm not doing that bad. So, And also, it wasn't the fact that I was just angry. I looked like I was really struggling. I was about to roll over <laughs> and die. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just think it. sometimes you need to just... You know, just do it for the boys and yep. throw it out there. And uh, and if it shaves off a little bit, then you know it's that, a win. It also means that I've prob- I've probably saved fifty hamstrings in my career, <laughs> like, like genuinely. <laughs> Sadly, none of them yours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've told mine on a number of occasions. But so the boys are going to come back from Namur. They're going to yep. get back. I think it's Friday. Play Samoa at Bankwest Stadium on Saturday. They're going to be fatigued. Are we going to pick a? Or what would you do? Would you pick your best side, or would you rest a few of your key players? potentially there's talk that some guys outside the 31 will play? Uh, well, I, I think it'll be case by case. I think some people will be picked on combinations. So that you, you might see the front row together. They might start or the starting front row might be the ones on the bench. So they'll get a little bit of time in the saddle where they're together. The locks, I think, will partner up. And I think we've also heard, um, you know, Michael Checker speak about partnerships and, and, mm. and, and combinations within the team. I think maybe a 9-10, like we'll see, it'll either be, you know... We'll, We'll get an indication of what Michael Check is thinking for game one, I think, through the selection of either the starting nine and ten or the, the nine and ten on the bench uh, because they'll get time in the saddle together again, whether it be Nick White and Christian starting or those two on the bench or it might be Bernard Foley and Nick White, whoever it might be, and, or Will Genya. Um, but I, I think they're going to give an opportunity to, you know, to see David Pocock. Yeah, I think everyone want, wants yeah. to see Powie. I saw him training the other day on social media. <laughs> Doesn't he look jacked, eh? Oh, mate. He's never looked out of Nick, but really, like, don't do not do that to the rest of us. Like, just do your rehab with your clothes on. Yeah. No, I'm, like, I haven't even looked at his calf when I saw that video of him doing his jumping in his <laughs> boxer shorts. Like, mate, imagine him with a tan. Oh. Like, because, you know, like, when you've yeah. got a bit of a tan, like, you look, you yeah. know, a little bit more lean. It's, I reckon you know, a, a tan is, I reckon, between five and ten mils on skin folds. Yeah. Lighter. And, like, Poe's, yeah. you know, he's fair-skinned and yeah. he still looks incredible. Yeah. Like, it's, you know, when people go do those bodybuilding things, like, they douse themselves. He looks like he's in the cutting tan. phase. Like, I'd like to see him. Maybe we could get him spray tanned at some point through the course of the World Cup. <laughs> That'd be nice. And just see see what he looks like. Like, oh, look, I'm amazed. By, I've I've I'm forever amazed by David Pocock. Like his training ethic, and you know, like his his determination when he gets injured. And that's 
I'm not so worried about the position he's in if he can get back and play because unfortunately he's been injured a number of times and but each time he's been injured he's picked up almost better than where he left off. So I have no worries or doubts about the form he's going to come back and, and play. So if he was to play his first game against Fiji or against Wales or in a really crucial game, I'm not so worried about that. Uh, I'd be worried if he doesn't get back, obviously, or if he's pushed earlier than he needs to be. But I just think everyone will be a lot more comfortable if he can get through Agreed. 20, 30, 40 minutes against Samoa. That doesn't matter if it starts. Probably wise it would put him on the back end of the game when it potentially slows down a little bit. Oh. I don't really mind. If he starts... I probably. always think if you've got someone that you're not sure about how long they can Agreed. get through, you start them. Because yep. if, if he comes on with 30 to go and he's only got 10 minutes in him and he, he's no good then you've, you, you've, you've got it. no one else to yeah, bring that's on. Yeah, good point. So, um, I, I'd start him, let him, you know, get those get those nervous feels as well about running out and get through all that, kind of, you know, get through the, the preparation like he would in the dressing room, getting in together in that team huddle, running out, singing the anthem, and then getting right into it. And then just whether it's 20 minutes, cap it. I don't think, I don't like the go as long as he can. No, no, no. Um, I, I think cap it at 20 or 30 minutes. These guys will know, like the coaching staff and the and the medical staff would would have him covered really well. So, but I think, like you, like you've said, him playing any amount of time against Samoa would help not only his confidence, but I think also the confidence of the playing group, but also the confidence of us supporters. Like we we are so like wanting to see David Pocock be involved and have this huge impact like we know he can have at this Rugby World Cup. And if he can show us that he can get through any amount of time against Samoa unscathed, I think uh, we're all resting pretty after that. Well, that kind of covers it, I reckon. That's a fair bit of Wallaby chat. We've got the big game on Saturday then, and then they get on the flight on Sunday. So we're only, what are we, two weeks from kickoff? Yeah, and we'll have a bit speaking of, a of Saturday though, Randwick... Local uh, Shoot Shield side, Randwick Rugby Club. You're calling this game? Yeah, that's right. Randwick are playing against Argentina in Argentina's final Rugby World Cup match down at Coogee Oval. Uh, it's at 2.30pm, also live on Fox Sports, like you've just said. I was down there yesterday. They reckon there's going to be about 5,000 people. They already sold, I think, about 4,000 tickets. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be an amazing atmosphere. Hopefully it's going to be a cracking day, sun be out. And, uh, look, it's going to be a tough one for Randwick. But as we know, they've played against the All Blacks in their history. Heard a little whisper during the week. Andrew Walker might don the Randwick jumper again. Wow. Where it all started for Andrew Walker at, at Randwick when I think he was 16 years of age playing first and second grade. Yeah. Uh, I played a classic Wallabies game with him about six weeks ago. He's, I reckon Walks would be 46 to 48. Yeah. He, He's incredible, Nick. Unbelievable. Mate, he, he played in that Brisbane 10s a couple yep. of years ago and was arguably probably the Brumby's best player. And there was even talk about him potentially yeah. getting a contract. And I, I know it sounded, when I heard that at the time and having played with him the other day, He's, he's more than up to it at first grade level. He's still a freak. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if he's going to win the game for him. It's going to be <laughs> tough, but it'll be exciting just to watch. I mean, I think again. it'll just be the occasion. It's, uh, you know, it's a great celebration of rugby, but also, you know, it's going to be a serious hit out for Argentina. They're going to, they're going to be taking it seriously, much like our guys against Samoa. They'll, they'll be wanting to trial some guys or some combinations and, and get that confidence they need from this game going into uh, their Rugby World Cup. And so that'll be a, a, a great one to tune into. And then there's some NRC in the afternoon before 6.30 coverage kicks off between uh, the Wallabies and Samoa. I think the, the kickoff is around 7.30 or 7.45, but the coverage starts at 6.30 and that'll be live on Fox Sports 5.03. So plenty of rugby coming up. And off the back of that, we'll have our final, I guess, chat around leading into the World Cup. We'll know more. We'll, I, I think the... You know, we've got plenty of questions at the moment leading into this small game, but I think, you know, quite a few of those will be answered 
with this performance and also the selection going into this game against Samoa. So plenty for us to chat about next week. Excellent. Look forward to it, Drew. Good start. Mate, it's been fantastic. And hopefully we'll have someone else in next week. Uh, you'll have to tune in to see who that is. But for now, yours in rugby. Steve Hoyles. And Drew Mitchell. Thanks for having us.